We all have an opinion of who the blessed are. We can all complete the sentence, blessed are the... How would you complete the sentence? Um, The way we fill in the blank says a lot about our values as individuals and families and cultures. How does our American culture fill in the blanks? Blessed are the... I say blessed are the beautiful, the athletically gifted, the entrepreneurial, the market-wise, the successful, the popular, the powerful, the wealthy, the young. How do you fill in the blanks? How did your family fill in the blank? How did your church fill in the blanks? Uh, we come to the Bible... We actually find variations in who the blessed are. If you get your worship folder, take out the sheet, and we'll look at some passages in the Old Testament, and then we'll look at some passages in the New. Look at the B.C. blessed. When Jesus speaks about these things, this is probably close to the view that Jesus had with his disciples when they gathered on the mountainside. This is looking down from what's called Mount Beatitudes into the Sea of Galilee, and um, I believe looking south. And he would have been standing here with them talking about these things as part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. But before we get there, let's look at the B.C. blessed. Um, Read some passages. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. Blessed are they who maintain justice, who constantly do what is right. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, the people whose God is the Lord. The blessed are those who acclaim God, who maintain justice, whose ways are blameless, who fear God and walk in his ways. These are the blessed. And the blessed are able in the Old Testament, B.C. blessed, are able to see the evidence of their blessedness as they look around at their environs, as they look at the circumstances in their life. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 33. God says Israel will live in safety alone. Jacob's spring is secure in a land of grain and new wine. Where the heavens drop dew, blessed are you, O Israel. Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you. The evidence of blessedness is room to roam, verdant landscape, the dew of heaven falling down upon the crops, the grain and the new wine, protection, provision, and victory. It's easy to see blessedness in with respect to the B.C. blessed. And even as that is what it is, a thousand years after these words are said, we find at the end of the Old Testament these words. Look what it says in Malachi 3, 14 and 15. We read, some are saying it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly, the evildoers prosper. And even those who challenge God 
escape. When we come to the close of the Old Testament, here's what we have. Blessed are the arrogant. Blessed are the arrogant. And, and the issue, the individuals who are saying blessed are the arrogant, their issue with God is he doesn't seem to make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Bad things happening to good people. Good things happening to bad people. Blessed are the arrogant. It doesn't make sense to try to do what God wants because he's not going to reward that anyways. That's what they're thinking. That's with the close of the Old Testament. That's what we find. And then Jesus arrives with the New Testament and turns blessedness on its head. But it says, talk about the AD blessed. We read in the beginning of Matthew Chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. These suffering seizures And people brought to him with various diseases, these suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. At this point, Jesus is in the second year of his three-year public ministry, and he is at the height of his popularity. People are coming from as far as 100 miles away to see him, and he is drawing huge crowds. He's doing a couple things. He's showing that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of truth, and the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. It's a kingdom of truth. It says Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. So when Jesus went around, he he spoke truth, good news. Not only good news, but good deeds. He mixed them. It says healing every disease and sickness among the people, showing God's kingdom to be a kingdom not only of truth, but of power, healing people. We're allowed to zoom in on this crowd. There are many ill with various diseases, suffering severe pain. The word describing them gives the image of people who are being oppressed by torturers. Their life is one protracted experience of torture. Um, from the time they get up in the morning to the time they sleep, sleep provides momentary escape, but then they're attended by pain again, pain, pain which presses in on their backs and squeezes their head. Chronic pain, severe pain, day after day, month after month pain. They were demon-possessed with afflictions medicine could not touch. Those convulsed with seizures, there were paralytics who were carried to Jesus on mats. That's the crowd. That's the crowd. The severely ill and those brought, those who brought them to Jesus, a sea of human suffering. And what they had heard was, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do. Just try to keep them as comfortable as possible. And then someone told them that there was someone named Jesus healing people in the northern part of Israel, in Galilee. And so they limped, hobbled, and were carried to this place. And when they got to this place, wave upon wave upon wave of human suffering broke in on Jesus. 
and he leaves suffering and sorrow in his wake. He heals them without effort and without exception. He doesn't even break a sweat. Each one is returned whole and sound. Discarded mats, sobs and gasps of delight, joyous pandemonium. You know the way we figure, the way we see this? All heaven is breaking loose. All heaven is breaking loose in this place. And in the middle of the pandemonium, Jesus puts the healing ministry on hold, stops it. He gathers those who accompanied him on this healing crusade. These are the committed followers who are with him not to be healed, but to learn from him. So he he leaves those or maybe satisfied that he healed all, but then he doesn't just stay with them. He takes those who are his followers, who he is teaching about ministry, and he takes them to a solitary place. Well, he takes them to this place and has them sit down on a mountainside overlooking the Sea of Galilee and looking south into the southern parts of Israel. And these are the ones to whom and through whom uh, God is going to reveal himself. And that's the way to think of these ones who are his disciples. They are the ones to and through whom Jesus is revealing the Father, and God will continue to reveal himself. He leads them to a hillside. What do you imagine that they're, they're thinking as they're walking with him to that place? They've just come from pandemonium. And I wonder if they're thinking... I wonder just how big this is going to get. Did you see the size of those crowds? Um, what do you think he wants to talk to us about? You know what he might want to do? He might want to tell us. He might want to show us how to do that. You know, and maybe he'll teach us how to do it in Jesus' name, and he'll tell us how to do that, and and he'll tell us, you know, just how you how you touch a person to heal them. You don't touch your dead. You'll do this, and maybe they're thinking he's going to show them how to do that, and so they, you know that. They get to the spot on the hillside. Jesus stops, sits down with him, and begins to speak. And their eyes and ears are riveted. And this is what they hear him say. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. They will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you agree with me? Because of what they just left, I don't think this is what they thought they would hear. It was hard for them to make room for that, and I... I think it's still hard for us to make room for it today. 
that Jesus would say things like that, that these would be who the blessed would be. Those to whom and through whom God reveals himself will experience these kind of things. They will be mourners, meek. They will be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be the peacemakers, the persecuted, the pure in heart. Formerly, the blessed were the haves. And Jesus turns it on his head. Now the blessed will be the have-nots. Not even the have-nots will be the blessed. I think he's pushing it further than that. It's only the have-nots. If you look at those to and through whom God reveals himself, it will be the have-nots, not the haves. There's a quantum shift in blessedness in the Bible. Would you agree with me? B.C. blessedness is observable. It's observable. You can know if you're blessed or not. Look around at your crops. Crops are good. I must be blessed. Look at your borders. Anybody threatening you? No, nobody's threatening you. You're blessed. Safe borders, verdant crops, being protected, provided for, you must be the blessed. B.C. blessedness is observable. You can see it in your life. You can see it in your circumstances. You can see it in your job. You can see it in your home. You can see it in your life. You can see it. You don't really have to believe it as much because it's evident. A.D. blessedness seems to be different. It's not observable. Not observable. You can't see safe borders with A.D. blessedness. You can't see verdant crops. You don't see victorious conflicts as evidence of blessed. It seems that the blessed and the cursed switch places in the Bible. Those who would be considered the cursed in, the, in B.C. are the blessed in A.D., that seems to be the way it the way it is. It's like God switches the price tags. I'm trying to wrap our arms around the difference. You know what it seems to be with BC blessedness? Earthly blessings eclipse heavenly ones. You know what an eclipse is? Something that stands in front of another thing. And with BC blessedness, if this is earthly blessings and heavenly blessings in BC blessedness. This is the way it is. The observable earthly blessings eclipse the heavenly one. If you put your finger on the pulse of the Old Testament, you don't find eternity. You find that you do what you do because of what you're going to get on this side of the grave. There maybe are maybe one or two indications slight of eternal existence, but you can't find it in the Old Testament. It is deep in shadow. It says Jesus brings life and immortality to light. And here's what happens in A.D. Heavenly blessings eclipse earthly ones. Everything switches, it seems. What do we do with this information? What do we do with this information? What difference does it make that these are the ones God reveals himself to and through? Setting up our series, what we're going to do is we're going to take this point at a time and apply these different qualities, and we're going to think about what it tells us about spiritual influence and what it tells us about spiritual experience, because really what this is describing, I don't think Jesus is talking about those at large who are the blessed, and it has application. He's gathering those to and through whom he is revealing himself. 
and giving us the marks of those who have spiritual influence. But there's also would have relevance in terms of spiritual experience, and we'll try to look at, at both of these things. But what do we do with this information? What does it mean? I'm going to make a couple applications, read an article, a poem, and then we'll, we'll be done for this morning, and we've set up the rest of it, our series. Um, I guess one thing, if you want to be used by God, you want to, be, you want to serve him, and you've encountered some tough things, and you're wondering why, when you want to serve him, you've encountered tough things, you would ask, why hasn't God blessed me? He has. But not B.C. blessedness, A.D. blessedness. Because who are the blessed on this side of the cross? They're those who mourn, the poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. They are the persecuted. They are the ones to and through whom God reveals himself. So if you're sitting in a place where you're wondering, God, I really did want to serve you, and I don't understand why these things happen, this might be part of an answer that those to and through whom God reveals himself have the difficulties to show for it. Would you agree with me? That is what the Beatitudes is telling us. That is what it's saying. So if you're wondering, the evidence of difficulties is not the evidence of a lack of blessedness on this side of the cross. Um, If you're looking for someone to and through whom God reveals himself, you might want to look past shiny and smiley. Somebody who's shiny and smiley, who lays claim to all these wonderful things, that's not it. Now, there are, there are blessings, but those to and through whom God reveals himself are not smiley and shiny. Think about Jesus. Did he smile? Sure. I don't see Jesus doing a lot of belly laughs. Too much pain. Too much he looked around and felt grief. How about Paul? His life wasn't a bunch of laughs either, was it? He looked like 20 20 miles of bad road. And in fact, people used the fact that he didn't have a good life as proof that he was disqualified. Today, it's possible for those who, well, for some to believe that the sign of those God uses is a big smile and a shiny exterior. I think the Beatitudes calls that into question, doesn't it? Would you agree? I think it does. I think it does. There's a poem from Amy Carmichael I'd like to close with. I'm going to read an article from Vase for Grace in order to get there. an article from 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. I'll read and follow along. Powerful and popular people receive the applause of men. What kinds of people receive the applause of heaven? But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. When the Roman army returned victorious from battle, 
They were paraded through the streets of Rome. At the center of the procession, the Roman general rode in a chariot with the conquered army soldiers walking in his wake, being led in triumphal procession. This is the picture Paul paints when he proclaims that God always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. At first glance, this is a flattering image. God's children in full battle regalia. Jesus at the center of the parade, the defeated forces of darkness shuffling behind the chariot. However, this is not the picture being painted. When we look carefully, we notice that it is children of God who are walking behind the general's chariot, bearing disgrace, being subjected to public humiliation. God's children shuffling behind the chariot. The Christians in Corinth were so enamored with the idea of victory in Jesus that they forgot one crucial fact. Before Jesus was raised in power, he was crucified in weakness. Paul's detractors in Corinth pointed to his sufferings as proof that he was a second-rate apostle. They argued that insulation from harsh treatment is a means by which God identifies those he has chosen to be his representatives. In their minds, Paul's scars disqualified him. God's children walk in front of the chariot, not behind it. Paul flatly disagreed. He viewed his scars as the marks of Jesus. He identified Christians and leaders with those who are being led in triumphal procession, with those who are mocked and ridiculed as they're paraded through the city streets, just like Jesus was. Those through whom God spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him will walk with Jesus to do so, behind the chariot, not in front of it. Paul soberly reminds the Corinthian Christians that those to whom and through whom spiritual life is reproduced will suffer. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Reproduction is painful. This is true both in the physical and the spiritual realm. When spiritual life is conceived and delivered, someone will have the labor pains to show for it. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India. In the 1920s, she received hundreds of orphaned children. She rescued hundreds of orphaned children. In 1931, she prayed, God, please do with me whatever you want. Do anything that will help me to serve you better. That same day, she fell, suffering fractures that would cripple her for the rest of her life. This, however, gave her time to write books, poems, and letters, which have been shared around the world. The unique perspective she gained from her suffering is reflected in her poem, Has Thou No Scar. I'm going to read that. J.C., Jeff, Joel, come on up. Read this, and then we'll have a closing song. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that encompassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet, as the master, shall the servant be. 
and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has nor wound nor scar? It's a mistake to equate heavenly power with earthly popularity. We are apt to view power and influence as marks of divine approval. In heaven, those with spiritual authority have the scars to show for it. Father, thanks for clarifying we do want to be the blessed. It doesn't mean that we want difficulty. None of us wants that stuff. But you indicate that it is what attends those to and through whom you work. That seems to be what it says. And we're all at different places. None of us aspires to it. But we do want to follow you. I guess we'd, you'd help us to be clear about how the things that Jesus says on this hillside to his followers a couple millennia ago, how they impact us and how they kind of, what they tell us about spiritual influence and what they tell us about spiritual experience. I pray in the weeks to come that we would understand this. In Jesus' name, amen.